0: Grace, mercy, and peace from the God of our fathers and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Psalm 145 we read, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand you desire the, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Well, the earth has gone around the sun one more time and we've come to another thanksgiving. I preached last year and I know it was so memorable you hadn't recited back to me. But um, one of the things I asked was, what are you thankful for? And I got a lot of answers back and all the usual things that we think of and I kind of put that together you know this is some of the things we get from thanksgiving and we're thankful for these wonderful gifts that god has given to us oh yes god is good to us but as i went through the text today and i did some struggling with how do i relate a national holiday thanksgiving to a scriptural input and there seems to be a divide when we think about all the politics and the games and the food and then you think about it, with God's place in life, it always becomes a struggle for me, and I want to get away from that. And so one of the things I thought about was, um, let, let me kind of just step back, talk a little bit about Thanksgiving and uh, its history. And uh, of course, we're going to go back to the pilgrims. And I looked it up in 1621, um, they had a celebration, a Thanksgiving feast, to which With which about 40 uh, about 50 people were there 50 people from england who had settled in the colony and about 90 indians showed up when when they saw that they were um, celebrating they weren't invited but they were made part of the part of the feast as well so these 50 people what were they doing with the celebration what were they saying thanksgiving for it's not just for the fact that all the things they had because they had a kind of marginal harvest. They were happy for that. and Some food in the larder. Were they happy for that? But what they were happy for is that they were alive. You see, about 90 people came over. And of those 90, there were 50 left. It was a tough year. And because of what they had been through, They wanted to sit down and say, thank you. Thank you for helping us, this small group of people, survive. Even to the point that they welcomed in those Native Americans who provided them with five deer to help with the feast. It was a feast that lasted for three days, and I don't think that was because they were defrosting a turkey and forgot to do it. But, you know, it takes a while to skin a deer, and it takes to play, uh, to, to prepare it for deep and you have to cook it and all that kind of stuff. So it was a three-day kind of affair, and that's really the first Thanksgiving that we had in our nation. Go on a little bit more, and we go over to two presidents that showed up. First was Washington, who had been through the Revolutionary War and had also been through the formation of a congress and in 1783 decided that he was going to declare the fourth um, Thursday of the month of, of November a national holiday which he got into trouble because the state said you can't tell us what we're going to do and what we're going to celebrate so he said okay I'm going to make a suggestion that you celebrate on the fourth if you don't want to okay and then there was, along came Lincoln who had survived, just survived a major threat to the unity of the nation, and won this battle at Gettysburg at tremendous cost. Both these men had been through hard times and decided that it was going to be, you know, we're gonna thank God for what has happened. So they're not thanking God for things so much but for God's providence in their lives for watching over them and for guiding things in a way that put the help keep the nation together and then there was officially made a national holiday by Franklin Roosevelt in 1941 and he decided to put it on the last Thursday of the month. And people said no. <laughs> so he made it the fourth Sunday of the month, which, or fourth Thursday, excuse me, fourth Thursday of the month, which is traditionally what they held, and he bent to that. But in 1941, he declared it a national celebration that would take place each year. It didn't have to be done by an annual proclamation. It's interesting to note that just 12 days later, He was to be standing before the Congress announcing that the United States of America had been attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. But the part, the kind of the, what he had been working with Franklin Delano Roosevelt was kind of the emergence from the Great Depression that had been on the land. Saying thanks to God doesn't mean you're always going to get everything wonderful. It does mean that you sense His presence in your life. And that's an important thing: to see behind everything, God's hands, providing us with that which we need. This is what Thanksgiving means for God's people. that for bounty, yea God. for difficulty, yea God. You are great. You are wonderful. You're awesome, God. As I was kind of figuring out what text I wanted to work with, I wanted to step away from the three that uh, were read today because they're traditional. I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I came up with a Psalm 145, and I just read I read that for you about how you reach out your hands and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And I wanted to preach on that. And then as I looked into the background of the psalm, or at least read the context of the psalm, I noticed something. I noticed that it sent chills up and down my spine because what I was hearing was something I had heard before and that you have heard. In the first verse, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. What does that sound like? I'm looking at it and I'm saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. And as I jumped through the text, the different kinds of verses, I came up with some things. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. What does that sound like? Hallowed be thy name. And I looked at it again and I said, All your works praise you, Lord, our faithful people exalt you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your great might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. What does that sound like? Your kingdom come. Come. And again, in this this psalm, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. God, working in lives of people according to his purpose. Your will be done. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your grace indeed de- your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. On earth as it is in heaven, this is the way things are supposed to be. There's a full awareness of what God has done. And there's a joy and a celebration that he's there. Another verse. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Give us today our daily bread. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Forgive us our trespasses. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. Lord, show us the truth and keep us from falling into temptation. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. What petition of the Lord's Prayer? Deliver us from evil. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. This scent chills up and down my spine. Because for a moment I felt like I was looking into the mind of Christ. As his disciples sat down and said, Master, teach us to pray. He took the thoughts of the Old Testament. He put them together and put them before his disciples. And what's the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. God provides. God has all the wealth of the land in his hands. But he doesn't come as a tyrant. He doesn't come as an abusive male. He doesn't come like a threatening king, although he certainly has the power. He comes as a father, a loving, caring person. And as we reach out our hand, he comes and provides for us. It just literally drops into our hands. Even if we aren't aware of what's happening, he still provides for us all. It's a true handout, I guess, in one sense. We get something, we put our hand out and we get it. And God provides because we love him. He loves us, rather. And what he asks in return is what? Love, praise, thanksgiving. A sense of appreciation for all he has done. His hand is out there. Reaching out to us. He reaches out to us in all his power. And empowers us. Because he loves us. And in loving us. He enables. That reach to become a grasp. On his power. Like a little child. Holds the fingers. So we become the little ones that hold on to him. He allows that because he loves us. That's what a true father does or a true parent does cares for the person. And what Jesus came to do was to affirm that relationship that we have with with him. And he said, I don't call you my servants anymore. I call you friends. I reach out to you. I want you to join with me in being God's children. But look at the cost. And that's something we should never, ever forget. Is the cost of separating that gap so that he can reach out to each of us and grab our hands. The cost is that his hands go out on the cross, nailed in place, that he can reach all of us. It is that hand of power becoming the hand of servanthood, of sacrifice, For each and every one of us. This is what stands behind Thanksgiving. Oh yes, we are grateful for many things. We're grateful for the food we have. We're grateful for the TV programs we watch. We're grateful for the games that we can play. We're grateful for our spouses. We're grateful for our parents. And all this is something that we indeed should be grateful for. But the greatest thing that we're grateful for is that God has reached down and grabbed onto us. And grabbed onto us in love. He reaches down that He may bring us up. Remember the story that Jesus was involved with in the Gospels where He was teaching to the crowds and they didn't have any food. And the disciples came running up to Jesus, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? And Jesus said, you feed them. <laughs> and they went, whoa, that's your job. <laughs> and Jesus said, no. Tell the people to sit down. What do we got? You know, five loaves, two fish. He said, thank you over the food. Thank God for what he had. And then what did he do? You go and you distribute. And you all know the story. Seven baskets filled with food after they were done from five loaves and two fish. But the hand of God reaching down to us and grasping our hand is not just to save us, but to empower us to go out and reach out to others. To help them know the love of Jesus Christ and the Father. True thanksgiving is recognizing there is a God behind everything that we have. There's a God that stands behind even the misfortunes of our life. Guiding and shaping and using it for his purpose. There's a God who is great. Cares for us. Loves us. And reaches out to us with his hand. And there is a God that calls for us to reach out to others in love as he has reached out to us. This, to me, is the true spirit of thanksgiving. It's love in action. I like to call it thanks living. Taking God's love. Saying thank you and then sharing it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.